Welcome to another episode of the My Creative District podcast, where we discuss how to channel your creative power into building the life you want, building the business you want, and making the impact you want. We believe creatives can live out a passionate and fulfilled life when they completely embrace their unique design and purpose. Want to turn your passion into profit? Stay tuned to hear from industry professionals, paradigm shifters, and world changers who have done just that and live it every day. This is the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Hey guys, today I'm interviewing Chasen Hampton and we will be discussing how luck plays a part in our career. But before we get to that, I want to remind you that my Creative District and Worldwide Dance Challenge has just reopened enrollment into the Worldwide Dance Academy. If you know anyone that would be interested in learning how to dance from instructors around the world, have them visit WorldwideDanceChallenge.com forward slash academy to learn more. Well, Jason, I am been super excited for this episode uh, because uh, I just know a little bit about your story and I'm excited to dig in a little bit more. I know that you are no stranger to the entertainment industry and we're going to get into that a little bit, but you know, getting your real big break in the Mickey Mouse Club back in the 90s, uh, actually late 80s, early 90s, and then, you know, being thrust into the party and just you know, all the craziness that comes with that and being on different shows and throughout your career. So I'm excited to dive a little bit into that and, and to learn, you know, a little bit more about you. But, you know, like, let's, let's, uh, let's start it up to put into some context here. What was life like for like the, you know, the eight, 10 year old Chasen Hampton? Uh, wow. Well, thanks for having me here, man, for sure. Um, I'm happy to be here. Um, <laughs> I, started in, uh, I started in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Uh, I started really young. My my parents actually um, had me. I, I was singing and literally at two years old, just singing around the house. Wow. And my parents put me into a music a music preschool, um, which kind of you know teaches you rhythm and teaches you songs and having you sing a bunch of songs. But uh, I'm on their wall of fame to this day. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's still around. But I you know I got my start early uh, singing and I just like singing. And uh, of course there wasn't many things in Oklahoma uh, for a person like like myself to do at that age, of course, you know, so I was in school and doing my thing. I think being a shy, introverted uh, individual, I, I noticed that I liked theater and I liked, uh, I, I was still singing, you know, kind of a bedroom singer and uh, singing in my, in my shower. I, I fell into a community uh, outside of, of, um, of my school and it was like, it was called Candid Kids. It was an acting, acting school. And at this acting school, they did like musical theater and there were, you know, I could do every day. There was a different class, you know, so I could take circus skills. I could take dance class. I could take tap, jazz, you know, um, voice lessons, whatever. And, and as I would meet other people, I would get interested in like, oh, what do you do? Oh, you take that class. And I'd meet the teacher and I'd get excited about going over there. So I just kind of got real into it and it was inhaling all of it. What was uh, it and, like? What was it like, though, But if you were introverted, what was it like? going into all these new places with all these different people. Cause I know myself as an introvert, that is one of my biggest issues is going in. I get comfortable with a group of people, but then I got to go in and meet a bunch of new people. So being young and introverted, how did, how, how did you, how were you able to adapt? Well, I think what I, what I found early on is, is when I had that, when I found that I had a common ground, it was, it was, it became fun and, and it kind of, it knocked all the nerves out. You know, it wasn't so, so new and and um i knew that the people within that building and within that you know area 
uh, we're into theater and we're into musical or, uh, or singers or dancers. So it's kind of that community aspect of like, this is what, this is ours. This is what we have. This is, yeah. our, this is in our common ground. And what we ended up doing is getting into some competitions in Oklahoma. There's a big competition thing. And in the South, they do a lot of pageants. That's very, very thing to do. You know, yeah. these, these girls get all gussied up. You like yeah. that word? And, um, <laughs> You know, they get the little, they get the fake teeth going and all these little crazy things and these little girls, it's nuts. Aside from that, people were doing talent shows. This, this, this one company, nonprofit, uh, it's called Oklahoma Kids and they would do competitions and it was like a four level competition and you'd make your way to the state finals and at the state finals, you could be on TV. So I'm like, all right, this is, this is something I got to do. And all the other kids at the acting studio were auditioning for this thing and trying to get into it. So I got into it, made it all the way to the state finals the first year what these people would do is from, from this thing, they would actually branch us out to like the theme park in Oklahoma or the governor's office might call and say, Hey, I need someone to come sing. And I was the guy who did like America, the beautiful. So they go, all right. And so I, all of a sudden they'd send me out here, send me out there. So it became, I became real busy and I got to be with these other performers. And by being with these other performers, I got to learn their skills. So we'd be backstage and I'd see a guy that actually had Roy Rogers ropes, for instance. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. That's so cool. You know how, yeah. and he's like, I'm a roper. I'm a professional roper, you know? And like, oh, well, show me how to rope. Well, here you go. Here you go, buddy. And all of a sudden, you know, backstage, you're learning how to rope. Okay. Well now you have another skill in the pocket. Makes no sense. You're like, how am I ever going to use this? But that went along with tightrope, six foot unicycles. You just, we were backstage and bored and you're like, what are you doing? Oh, here, help me. Let me figure it, let me figure it out. And we'd see other singers. We'd help you. We know we kind of, when you're with somebody who does something you want to do and they're good, it makes you better. So like, if you go golfing, if you go golfing and you're not a real good golfer, go golfing with somebody who's really good. All of a sudden you're hitting them straight. You're making putts and you're like, wow, this is crazy. I never, and it's just that, that contagious, you know, vibe of being around someone who's real focused and we all made each other better. But that, you know, when I got into the Mickey Mouse Club, all of those little collective things that I had when I, when that moment came, I had so many things I could offer as this 11 year old kid. Um, when they said, okay, what do you do? I'm like, what don't I do? You know what I mean? Not to sound cocky, but I was like, I, you know, I'll, you know, I'll sing dance. I got my tap shoes on and I just, there's a guy out there I do a duet with. I can pull him in. I can tap dance and do the lines. And he was like, yeah, I want you to do that. I want you to, I want you to actually tap dance and do the lines. And wow. the guy sat back and he was like, you know, this is hilarious. You know, I can't believe yeah. there's kids that can do this. You know, this is great. So go, but, go for a second. You said you went to all these talent competitions. So what, at what age were you starting to go to the, all these talent competitions? Nine, 10 years old. I was heavy into it. And we, they would actually go out of state. They'd go into, you know, Texas. We, we did, there was a big one in Pampa, Texas. You could win a thousand dollars for the first, for first prize in a category. And I think the year before I got Mickey Mouse Club, I won four categories. So they were like, get the F out of here. Dude. They were like chase, chasing me out of town because I was I came, I came in ready to go. You know, I was like polished. I had my dance. I had my clean house. Act. I had the do my duet, my group act. Yeah, we were, they were like, and they'd pay you like 100, 200, 300, you know. So it was, so it was exciting. That was like the most exciting thing to do in Oklahoma for a, for a performer. You know for I mean? a performer, yeah. So, and, and were, those, were those competitions, was that something that your parents had to like, know, you know, push you along to do? Or, or at this point with all the people that you'd met and with this company, and was that something more like you said, mom, dad, this is what I want to do? That's what I wanted to do. And, uh, and then my dad's actually a, a speech uh, tournament guy when he was younger and did stuff like that. So he was into it. And, you know, we talk about how song choice is real important. 
And my dad leaned on me and he's like, he wasn't going to be, he wasn't pushy, but he's like, here's what you need to do, son. You want to win. Here's what you need to do. And uh, he helped me with my song choices. And I became the guy who was like, who would always do a patriotic number or, and we're in Oklahoma. So this is the Midwest, the Bible Belt. So you do a patriotic number, people are going to raise up and all of a sudden, you know, take their hat off and it's, you know, it's a serious deal, you know? Yeah. For instance, that year, uh, we all had watched in school. This is probably, you're probably too young to remember this, but we all watched in school. They pulled TVs in everybody's room to watch the Challenger take off. Yeah. And we're all watching and the Challenger blew up and we're little kids. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, the, you know, the te- you know, teacher had to turn around and go, oh my God, turn the TV off and had to explain what, what in the world had just happened. On that flight was the first teacher. Uh, I think her name was Christy McCullough. Yeah. The first teacher was going up into space. It was a big deal. Yeah. And uh, I was doing these competitions and I, could, I had a really high voice. My voice hadn't changed yet. So that was my thing. I could get really up there. I could do Barbara Streisand. So I would do memories from cats. Right. Oh, man. And that was my, that's what I wanted to do. So I wanted to enter this competition and I wanted to do memories from cats. And the thing is, it was that, that was when Cats was really in. So everybody was doing memory from Cats. So it was like, you know, the judges would be like, oh, God, here comes another, here we go again. And you'd see this cat walk out. So my dad's like, just don't dress up like a cat. One of the acting coaches agreed with my dad, the little community that I go to, the little acting coach school. And they came up with this, you know, routine. And, and they got the challenger picture of all those astronauts and blew it up real big. We put it on an easel. And I came out in a little white tux and I sang memories, mm. you know, from cat and, and cats aside, you never, you never mentioned a cat in the, in the song. It was memories, you know, you know, as an ode to them and literally at the end, you know, carried out um, a flag, you know, military yeah. folded yep. and laid it down and got on my knees. And the first time I did it, I stood up and the audience was just they were bawling, right? Cause that had just happened. I realized, wow, my dad's brilliant for one, but at the same time, how important, doing something like that can be and how it's more than just making money or winning like it actually touched somebody right so as an introverted person i said whoa this is a superpower like this is something crazy right and i think by getting my first taste of i'm really good at this i think gave me a lot of gave me a lot of confidence um with that skill you know what i mean that was like the first time i actually kept my head high. This is, this is what I, this is what I am. This is what I do. And I, I'm lucky to have found that young because I know a lot of people don't, but. And how do you feel like, I mean, so now, you know, we're, we're working up to, you've been to talent competitions and now you've got your, I'm really curious. Uh, what do you feel like that moment right there? How that moment right there sets you up for your next chapter, which we're going to talk about right now is the, the Mickey Mouse club. How do you feel like that that helped you prepare yourself for that moment with that audition at the Mickey Mouse Club? Well, I talk about how, what, you know, what luck is and how, you know, preparation when preparation meets opportunity. Right. So not realizing it subconsciously, I was preparing myself for the big opportunity all this time, never really realizing what a big opportunity looked like coming from Oklahoma. You know, people usually went to like, they usually would say like, okay, if I'm going to continue down this road, am I going to go to Nashville? Am I going to go, Am I going to go dance at Silver Dollar City? Am I going to go to um, Six Flags down in Texas? And the big dream was to go to Disney, you know, so that was a big deal. You know, I think just kind of, it, all, you know, getting prepared and, um, and it gave me a lot of confidence to know that when I, when I would step in the room and do what I did, um, I knew I was good at it. Yeah. Whether, I, whether I was a redhead or, you know, I had acne or I didn't feel like I looked good enough, all those things aside, when I went into that zone, um, you know, I knew I was good. And if you want, I'm going to that, that Mickey Mouse Club thing. Um, there yeah. was a, a, 
Yeah, I, I mean, there was the, yeah, go, go, I want to, I want to, I want to touch on that for a second because I, I mean, granted, you've been doing all these, you've been doing all these auditions or excuse me, you've been doing all these competitions. So obviously that's preparing you for bigger and bigger stages. Right. But I mean, even as an 11 year old kid, do you think you knew how big of an opportunity the Disney channel or this, this potential project with the, the Disney channel was going to be for you? And, and how did, how did you mentally prepare for that? And as an 11 year old kid? Well, first it wasn't, it wasn't the Mickey Mouse club when I auditioned. So uh, that aside, but that was a big thing back then. There wasn't the internet, you know, they didn't find people on YouTube. So that was like a thing. That was kind of a thing that, that people did. There were like scam modeling things that people would come through town doing, you know? Yeah. But I've seen a couple of those. Right. But this, this was a situation where sometimes NBC would come rolling through and they would gather everybody and do a big day at the mall and people would just filter through. Yep. And that's, that's, that's kind of what they were doing, you know? So if you said something interesting though, you said that, you know, it wasn't known as the Mickey Mouse club then. So did you know you were auditioning for Disney or did you just know it was a big audition that was with some it was just it was just another thing i mean i was doing i was doing auditions in oklahoma but they you know obviously i was doing some commercials and some print things here and there but but yeah i mean it's disney so yeah of course you think yeah of course this would be amazing i I can tell you that i'll tell you how the situation happened you know um if if you unless you want me to stay on this right here disney was rolling through for a a nationwide talent search whatever but the the it was it was about a movie called why because we like you and it was about being an original mouseketeer so I would have had to have looked like an original Mouseketeer. I was walking in, not even thinking I ever looked like an original Mouseketeer. I didn't think I ever, I didn't think I did. So I didn't really feel like I had it. I was a shoe in for this, this thing they were doing. I was into it. Uh, my dad got a random call. He was working late, got a random call. And we still don't know who that was. I'm sure it was a friend of a friend, but everyone in Oklahoma knew what I did. So they, someone reached out to my dad and said, Hey, you know, they're having a talent search in Dallas. You need to get your son down there. And so he came home, told my, told my mom. And my mom's like, all right, we'll give it a whirl. And we, you know, didn't go to school the next day. But we literally got in the car, went to Dallas. They were doing it at the big Galleria there in Dallas. There's a hotel attached to that Galleria. So we mm-hmm. just stayed. My mom just checked into that hotel. And we rolled in about 1 a.m. Nobody in there but us kind of checking in. Completely at the other end of the lobby. And if I can set it up, I'm in my, I'm, I'm, I'm in my jams. Most, most people don't know what jams are, but jams. <laughs> that was, that was the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I had my jams up. So a really loud, crazy looking kind of half shorts, half pants. And I had my boom box because that was a thing. You know, there wasn't a little, I didn't have a little Walkman, but I looked, you know, boom box with two cassette tapes in it. Yeah. And my, and my little briefcase of tapes I was rolling in, you know, doing my thing. And uh, mom's checking in, but completely at the other end of the lobby, I see, there was kind of a ruckus, you know, like four, four people kind of roll in and I could tell they were loud, probably just came in from dinner, having some drinks. You know, I could hear him whispering clear across the thing because there was nobody in there. And they're like, I bet he's here for the Mickey Mouse Club thing. I bet he's here for, the, you know, ask him, ask him. And they yell clear across the, the lobby like, hey, are you here for the Mickey Mouse Club audition? I turned around, I was like, yeah. And they said, we're the casting directors. <laughs> And, uh, and then the other guy goes, you want to audition right now? And I go, Uh-oh. let's go, let's go right now. Let's go. Here we go. Let's go right now. And I had my boom box. So I started walking towards them. They're like, no, 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 no. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Get some sleep. And I'm thinking like, I'm not going to get any sleep, but I'll see you tomorrow. Okay. People are already starting to line up within the mall area, within the con- um, convention part where this, this thing was going to go down. So I went up and got ready for a couple hours or whatever, got some sleep, got, got ready. 
came back down, got my spot in line before the sun even came up, finally got into that room. And because I had that random chance meeting the night before, this now wasn't the first time I was walking into this situation. Now it was almost like a second time I've seen these people. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So that's a huge advantage for me. Looking back now is I can pick this apart. So I walk in the room and, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to like really feel the air. I can kind of like, hey, what's up? It's me. And they're like, oh my God, you were the guy. You were the guy. And I was like, yeah, I was the guy. Like I said, they were saying, you know, what can you do? And I was like, I can do all these things. And you know, what, do you, what do you want me to do? Like, I got cassette tapes for this. I got cassette tapes for that. And they go, we want you to do it all. So let's just see what you got. And, uh, and then, I, like I was saying, they, he literally goes, well, tap dance and do the lines. And then he was like, son of a gun. All right. He's like, come around here and sit with me. Oh, man. And I said, okay, all right. And he's like, now let's let in the next person. And I was like, oh. okay. So we, they, we started rolling. They started rolling in the next couple of people. And all of a sudden, my mom, like, peeks her head in. I'm just looking for my son. And they're like, yeah, we kidnapped him. No, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Now we're going to let him go here in a second. He has an interview to do. And I was like, what? Okay. Yeah. When you're sitting at the, when you're sitting at the casting director's table, you're in a good spot. You're in a good spot. And I was like, yeah. And they had me read with some of the other ones just to commit. So I could tell he was still, he was still feeling me out. He was still auditioning yep. me, still seeing, you know, who I was as a person. And so they did, they put me in this other room. Uh, we had this whole backdrop set up and entertainment tonight was in there. So I'm thinking, oh, this is crazy. And they started interviewing me. Like they really, and then she was saying like, they really like you. This is the Mary Hart days. And I was like, they do? They haven't said anything to me. Like, and they were like, come on, you know, you've been in there forever. What does this feel like? There's a, over a thousand people here. What does this feel like? You know? So I was like, this is crazy. You know? I, yeah. Yeah. So sure enough, I got the, the call back, went to California and got the role of Lonnie. So Lonnie was one of the original Mouseketeers. So they would have dyed my hair, shaved my head. And at that time, I was 89. So at that time, there was an uh, insane... Uh, writer strike uh, all over Hollywood and everything shut down. Even the, the Tonight Show, David Letterman, all these things were in reruns. Everything shut down. Everything was canceled. All movies and TV that were going to be filmed were getting canceled. Disney being Disney was like, hey, well, we, we're still doing our thing we're over here and, and they're going to rival Universal and make a, a theme park yep. and, you know, about movies and stuff. So they had sets there and they, I mean, they had um, studios there for sets and people could come in and rent those studios to do their TV shows, but they needed something now, first off, because they, they wanted to get the steam park going and they wanted something that was a live-in, they want a live-in set that people could always come in and rely on if it was going to be there. So most TV shows don't get that kind of a budget for a set, but in 89, I mean, they're spending probably over a million dollars, well, I know they did, to make this playground that you could see from the towers where people, the, the tour would constantly be walking through, watching us film, watching us rehearse, watching us do everything. Sure. We were serving two masters. We were there for the theme park, you know, and they would like us to be there mostly during the holidays and, you know, during when yep. they're most packed. And so we went to school there. We did everything there, lived in those theme parks. The casting director just moved my picture from one thing. He's like, well, I got, I got this guy here. He did that with, with me. He did that with Jennifer McGill. He did that with Tiffany Hale. Mm -hmm. They were all in that final audition in California for that movie. And they just moved us over to, you know, the other board. And they're like, okay, because they said, okay, we want you to go ahead and cast the rest of the Mickey Mouse Club in Florida then. And we're going to put it on the Disney Channel. So we were serving the master of the, the theme park and the Disney Channel. Oh, wow. And, and it really took off because it was a subscription-based channel. So they could tell by the subscriptions that were coming in that it was a hit, you know. That's pretty crazy. And it was so cool. And honestly, right before I, right before I had to go back, they called me and they said, you need to go to Dallas um, to this, this place and just film yourself one more time. So it wasn't an audition per se, but it was that we were kids and they knew how fast we grew. You know, they knew oh, we'd sure. sprout. 
So they wanted to see me on camera one more time. And when I went in there, all they did was, and it was like three or four of us, and they asked us questions like, describe yourself in four words. And I was like, oh God, I hate auditions like that. You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. And so I had to hear like the first two people go, and I'm thinking like, all I'm thinking is what they said. And I'm like, oh God, I describe myself in four words. I'm trying to think of four adjectives. They're like, you know, um, talented, you know, bright. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, shoot me. <laughs> and so uh, it got to me and I went, uh, easy to work with. And I could just see these people go, Whoop. and I was like, all right, I took a risk here, you know? And the lady's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, okay, great. They're like, thank you. So when I left, I was driving home and my mom's like, how'd that go? And I was like, I have no idea, right? And so when I finally did get the part later on, they actually reminded me of that and said, bro, that was when it was like done. You know, uh, the fact uh, that you like thought outside the box, it was, you were done, it was done. So you'll hear me always talk about trying to be memorable and how, it's, how important it is to try to be memorable. Even if sometimes you, you fail, it's, it's worth it. Yeah, I was just going to say that because, you know, you, this whole, there has definitely been a theme even through you telling the story. First of all, um, I, and I, I, I mean, man, we could talk about this for days because I think this is so valuable. First of all, you were prepared. Like this guy was like, do you want to audition right now? And you're like, let's go, man. Like, you know, the value of always being ready is, right, is yeah. you know, and I think that set you up because when you walked in there, you already had the confidence to say, hey, man, I didn't need today. Like I was ready to go last night, you yep. know, and, and I think, you know, that, that probably subliminally, subconsciously stuck with them so that when you, when they saw you walk in and you're like, Hey, it's me. Remember? And they're thinking, yeah, you were ready to go at one thirty in the morning. Like, you know, uh, but you know, I'll, I'm curious, how do you think that that set you up for, you know, the next chapter? And we could talk about, you know, the Mickey Mouse Club for a, a long time because it was a super successful uh, you know, run so many people that that was such an iconic show for them, right? But then you got your next chapter, which is moving on into the party. And so I'm really yeah. curious that this always being ready, ready to, you know, always being prepared, always being memorable. How do you feel like that set you up to be picked from the Mickey Mouse Club and put into the party? Because not everybody was put into the party. I don't know. I honestly have no idea if they were watching us from the side or because the, the guys, we kind of were a click a little bit within the club. And, you know, we were that older kind of yeah. older crew and we were listening to certain types of music and we were talking about, Hey, we should be a band. They were setting us up in numbers within the club a lot. Um, so you would see us paired up, but you know, and I'm sure there's a little bit of, Hey, we needed a redhead. We needed a black guy. We needed this, we needed that. But you know, we filled the role with the talent for sure. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it, it was a wild ride, man, because I, you know, like I said, in Oklahoma, I was, you know, not known for being like the hot guy in school. And then all of a sudden I'm on every cover of every teen magazine <laughs> and we'd go play these malls and they'd have to shut. They actually, like we went to Canada, we played the mall there and it got shut down in 40 seconds. Wow. And literally the SWAT police came in and had to like get us off stage because it closed on us and we had to get off stage. People got hurt. Ambulances were there. I mean, it was nuts. You know, so like feeling that it was just, it was almost surreal. It was unbelievable that the power of TV and that people can relate to you and feel you through the TV like that. They were watching us on the Mickey Mouse Club every day. So yeah. these people were growing up with us. We were a part of their lives, you know. Yeah. We didn't really realize that until later, the power of that, because we're still reminded of it to this day. Now, so you've gone from, you know, the Mickey Mouse Club, you moved on to the party now. So what was, 
what was it like working with some of the people that you worked with in the party? And we're going to get, we're going to get past the party in a minute. Cause I think that's another uh, important thing as well. But you know, what was it, what was it like transitioning from the Mickey mouse club to the party and going from, you know, being on TV to now traveling all over the world? It was hard. You know, it was almost like um, we had the, the machine of Disney and all this, the money in the Hollywood records, in, infinite budget and all these things. And who do you want to work with? Well, we want to work with Dr. Dre. Okay. We had all these things, but the problem was, um, like I said, Mickey Mouse Club was a, a subscription-based channel. So the only albums they were putting out then were things like Pirates of the Caribbean album or the Electrical Light Parade album. Right. Or, you know, a mixture of um, you know, Disney songs on a, on a CD. There was no, like, machine where they were trying to build pop acts or trying to be taken seriously in this whole new genre or realm. If someone told uh, if someone told them that you know these, the, here's the party and they're the, they're the guys from the Mickey Mouse Club, people would be like, ding, ding. <laughs> they they didn't care because this is like in their world this is serious. Like I'm in a DJ booth right now. Don't be bringing some Mickey Mouse Club shit in here. Like what are you doing? Like get out. Like what are you talking about? This is hip hop, <laughs> like or whatever. Right? You know right. what I mean? Right. No 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 no. So we really had to prove ourselves. Like we were known as like the dance band. We were the the we weren't a boy band. We were more of a pre-black eyed peas if i should yeah. say yeah um but we were hardcore dance um straight out aerobic 90s full out you know what i mean <laughs> stunning yeah. and jumping into the crowd and the, we were hyped because they called us the party we were like all right we're gonna party yeah we're gonna bring, we're gonna bring that so it was nuts but yeah we, we got to work with a lot of people and I think, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting too, and, and we have creatives that listen to the show, we have entertainers that listen to the show, and ultimately we have dreamers that listen to the show, right? And I think sometimes we get this thought that if I would just get that one part, if I would just get in with that one click, or I would just get that one person to invest in me or believe in me, then all of a sudden it's a smooth sailing ride from here. You're telling me that you have been a part of the Mickey Mouse Club where you have screaming fans that are crushing you at a mall. Yeah, seen and, by millions every day, right? Seen and, by millions every day. Right, and then you join the party, same, so you're going you're gonna to naturally get the same audience, but yet you have this infinite budget, you have Disney behind you, and you're still proving yourself. Yeah, there's no respect from the industry. So this is now we're, you're, in, you're in a different industry now, the music industry. They're like, you know, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I mean, we know they're talented, whatever. Um, but eventually, you know, we did prove ourselves. We were put on big tours and people were like, holy cow, these guys, you know, these guys for real. And we did get to work with big people and those guys helped, helped spread the word. It, it was, it was wild to do that. Timing's everything, right? So that's how the party ended as well. The, you know, the timing of the timing of the party was a little late, but the Seattle sound like, uh, you know, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, all these bands were hit and that's what people were signing. That's what people were listening to. Yep. And we were like, okay, I guess it's done. We, as kids, we didn't realize I was just turning 18. You know, we didn't realize everything kind of goes full circle and recycles all the time. Sure. Um, so we were like, oh no, we want to go on and do other things. So, you know, Damon had split off, wanted to be with his family. And we were like, Hey, let's just go do some other things. Let's go do some solo stuff, live life and see what happens. Looking back, you know, it'd be, it would have been great. It would have been a solid thing to just stick it out, stay through it, stay through those hard times it would have caught back up again, but you know, timing's everything. Just like when I checked in at 1 a.m. in the lobby that day, it happened to be right when these guys were walking in, right? That was when the true luck happened in that story. Yeah. You know, everything else was designed, um, unconsciously was I getting prepared for that big moment. Unconsciously was I confident. 
I could pick that apart now and explain that. But then I, I didn't know. I was like, hey, man, I'm ready to go. This is what I do. What was that transition like from you from going from being a part of this monster that, you know, Disney for so long and now you don't have that same engine behind you anymore? What was that like? Scary as hell. I mean, once, once it, it sounded like easy, you know, hey, and I, I'm sure if I would have known the right people to contact, I could have kept my career going in the right direction. But we were always told what to do, where to go, who to be. Every morning we'd get a little sling under my door, told me when, my, when I was supposed to be in school, what room it was. There was going to be a couple of radio interviews after school, and then I was going to be taken to lunch, and then we, you know me, or the agent was telling you what audition you were going to. So when all that goes away and you're responsible for it, it's scary. And we were in LA, not in Orlando anymore. So, you know, you're in the big pond. You're in a big pond. Yeah. And um, even the people who will respect you there want you to earn your respect with them. Yeah. They're not just going to like go, hey, okay, I know you're talented, but you still got to like wait in line. You know what I mean? Right. And so it was like, whoa, this is like a wake-up call. So at that actual moment, I had the opportunity to go back to the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, me and Tiffany went back. And, uh, and of course, when I got there, the Malcasters were like, what are you doing? Why are you back here? And I'm like, oh, bro, wait till you get out. Wait till you go swimming out there. <laughs> you know? This is, you know, this is, I'm doing this for business. This is a smart, you know, and uh, it's a sure thing. And this is where our fans are and why not? So when I, ca I actually came back to the Mickey Mouse Club for the final season, and it wasn't the final season, then it was supposed to go on a couple more. Sure. Uh, so yeah, Tiffany and I came back as the, as the co-host, but awesome that I got to spend time with some of the guys who later on got to really catch the fruit of what we uh, kind of planted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sounds to me like, you know, after the, the party fizzled and even after, so, you know, after the, the Mickey Mouse Club officially is done, what was your next move? What, what was your next steps? Well, like any other young teenager who's out in LA and, you know, somewhat of a celebrity then. So I'm expected and asked to be at a lot of places, you know, a lot of clubs at night and a lot of, you know, so there was a lot of fun being had. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of time wasted, I'm sure there. But I was auditioning every day, you know, whenever my agent or manager would say to be somewhere, I'd be there and do that. And little by little, I'd get uh, commercials here and there. I was doing, like, I think I got a Fruit Loops and a Del Taco fairly quickly. I would always get a lot of TV stuff. Um, the film stuff was harder for me as a redhead. I know that sounds weird. Redheads usually they only get, back then, they would usually only hire one redhead per cast. Mm. They always they always think about what it's going to look like in the cast photo. Okay, sure. And so they're going to get the one black guy or the one redhead. And in fact, a lot of times I would go in on auditions and it'd be the room would be half redheads and half black guys with dreads. And we all knew each other. You're like, oh, here we are again. They can't decide what they want. <laughs> okay. Here we are again. So yeah, I don't, and I, don't, I think that was always a thing. I did end up getting a couple movies. It took a while. I don't know how many hundreds or you know, a couple thousands of auditions I did out there, but it was every day for years. Uh, but I, you know, I did manage to get on a lot of shows, pretty much all the 90s TV shows, The Seventh Heaven, Buffy, and X-Files, yeah. which X-Files is my dad's favorite show. So I always liked that I got to do oh, that's something cool. that made him proud in that sense. Yeah. I always, yeah. Wanted, I always wanted to get killed too. I always wanted to get killed on camera. So, <laughs> so you got your opportunity on your yeah. dad. So. I got eaten, eaten alive. There you go. There you go. So I'm curious, you know, and, and I think this is really important for, for people to hear because again, people think that once you're on that mountaintop, then, then you're just, you know, you stay there for life, right? Like you're, once you've made it, you've made it, whether that's in business, whether, whether that's in the entertainment world, right? What was it that kept driving you when you realized, oh, like I still got to work at this thing. 
you got to pay the rent being in LA and, and you go, you go out there to, to live your dreams. I mean, you know, lots of people have side jobs that money doesn't last forever. It goes real yep. quick. And at the end of the day, you know, you look back and go, what, what is, what are my skills? You know? So mm-hmm. I did do all sorts of odd jobs. I was a construction supervision. I built candy bins at one point, anything where I didn't have to be in public. I could just be in another room and I could still be writing my songs with my headphones in and doing my thing. But you know, you, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do to survive. In all honesty, you know, you've had some, through those years, there were some heartbreaks. There were some letdowns, you know, so I was close to some parts. I was close to a couple of really big parts. But the one thing that I've always leaned on and I've always known that I'm, that I'm good at and makes me feel good is uh, singing. You know, there's, there's many a nights when it was just me and my guitar in, a, in, a, in an empty house or a room, you know, just, just going for it, just to therapeutically, you know, just to kind of remind myself of why I'm supposed to be here, you know. And I think that's really important too. And we should probably talk about that a little bit is the, you know, the creative process. I know one of the things that really would get in my way, uh, especially early in my career is I would always try to create from this place of comparison, this place of, well, I'm trying to look like this guy, or I'm trying to be like this person because they've made it or they've, they're living the life that I want. So that means if I can just do what they do, then everything would be good. But then I started to realize that the creative process for me started actually becoming something I hated because I was never really quite that person. I was never quite to their level. And so it would choke out the creative process. That's what the party in the Mickey Mouse Club gifted me with. And being a redhead, I learned early that I stood out. I would usually be like called first in class. He'd be like, okay, what do you think? You know, I'd be yeah. like, oh God. <laughs> um, knowing, knowing that um, the more different I was, the better off I was. And so here, here's, here's why. I'm in a room, like the first day I get to Mickey Mouse Club, I'm in a room with everybody who's just as talented or, as me or more. Mm-hmm. So I have to find how I stick out. And it's not just my red hair. That's not going to define me. It's like, I have to like, you know, figure that out. So it might be, uh, I'm going to wear two different color Air Jordans. You know, I'm going to do, you know, I would do all sorts of random things. I had, I was jewelry. I'd wear bolo ties and make bolo ties back then. I had all sorts of things I would do, but I don't know. I, that's when I, that's when I shined. So yes. But when I got to LA and I got hooked up with other people in bands, they're scared to make those risks. So a lot of times I got suckered into, no, we got to be like that guy. Or uh, no, we need to go into this realm. And yeah, it never worked. Yeah. And, and you're 100% right. And, and the other thing for me is it just made the creative process so miserable. And one of, one of the things that I have learned, you know, later on, obviously, was when I, when I kind of laid down the expectations of I need to look like this so I can make it or I need to, to, to dance like this so I can make it or I need to sing like this so I can make it. When I just said, hey, listen, I just... I just want to create for my own therapy. I want to create for my own expression. It's in those moments that my best work has come. And that work has been what's also helped me move forward on with my overall vision of what I wanted my life to be. It didn't come when I was trying to force it. It came from when I just allowed it to happen. And so what has that been like for you? Um, where, Where do you find your most creative moments coming from? My alone time, man, you know, I, I cherish my alone time, whether I'm walking in the woods or I've probably written more songs driving and in the shower than anywhere. I had a lot more time back then because I, you know, I'd have a, a guest house by myself or I'd have a, an apartment by myself so I could just go home and close everybody out and play guitar all night. Now I got more responsibilities, <laughs> but uh, 
A lot of my songs are about what I've been through in life. They're not so happy. I wrote those to get through something, much like I wrote I Can't Breathe because that's what's in the air, you know? I, yeah. I, you know, that's what I'm hearing all the time. And I have a song and I'm going to put this to that instead of going and flipping a car because I'm angry. I'm going to write this song. So I'm pissed. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just inspired by, um, you know, my environment mostly, but. That's what's it's, up. You know, it's important to stay creative for sure, man. That's those are my best skills. I'm no plumber. I'm no union carpenter. Uh, this is what I got. So yeah, yeah. So I got to keep working at it. And and I'm question. I'm I'm curious. Now you have this. You know, you have this artist development company, Chase in Life, and you've helped. You've helped artists. You know, actually get on big stages. You know, Coachella, iHeartRadio Music Awards. And so, when was it that point for you where you were like, okay, I not only have this skill to sing, but now I've realized that I have this knack for actually helping other people improve themselves in the same craft. When, when was that moment for you and when did you make that shift? So in, in LA, I, I, I was in LA and uh, I went through a personal tragedy. I had just gotten this new job teaching vocal lessons. Having to go to work when you're not happy, I was thanking God that I could do something that I liked to do. But I had these really cute kids that I was working with, you know, and they were just, I didn't have kids. And honestly, I'm not a kid person at all. But it got to be where I'd come in the, I'd come in the building and, you know, these kids would, there he is. And they'd come and, you know, grab my legs and I could, had to drag them to my room. And, you know, I don't care who you are. That's going to take you out of your funk. And it's going to take, you know, so I just realized that, you know, this yeah. is a, this is a positive place to be. You know, everybody wants to be giving back and I you know, see that in your work. But my boss was Tony Avalon, which was uh, Frankie Avalon's son, which is just really random, you know, through the Disney wow. tie. But he realized, you know, what kind of heart I had. And he quickly made me music director of this school. Yeah, man. The coolest part of this school was that it's in Agora Hills. So it's like the backside of Malibu. Yep. So all of the stars were taking their kids there. Oh, and I cool. mean, more than I could name, you know, from, yep. you know, Def, Def Leppard to the Elton John band, you know, to Motley Crue, to Aria Speedwagon. I mean, I could just go down the list, you know, and these, all these kids and so dads and moms would drop them off. And, hey, there they are. And there's many a day when I was teaching Nikki Six's daughter and Nikki Six's Indian style sitting next to me on the ground. Wow. Just, just listening. And I'm thinking, my God, like, this is crazy. Like, he knows more, <laughs> he knows more than I do. What am I doing? I wanted to pick these guys' brains. So... <laughs> I would put these kids in concerts and we'd do big concerts and we were really big out in Calabasas and stuff. And of course I'd get the dads to help, you know, I had the guys from Elton John band, you know, programming the actual, you know, giving us the actual programs for the keyboard so we could get the exact sounds, you know, Oh wow! Um, and teaching us, you know, different things like that. Or we actually had the kids play with the Elton John band. We actually had Slash come play with the kids, you know, Tom Morello from Radiance Machine. And I mean, just nuts. Right. So, as a musician still, you know, being around that, I'm like, this is the best of both worlds, right? So I get to still yeah. sing, I still get to have fun, and I'm giving back, getting to enlighten these beautiful kids. And of course, you know, 99% of them are not gonna become big stars. They're not gonna become the next so-and-so. Sure. But what you're giving them is, you know, self-confidence, and you know, yep. it, it's, you know, the creativity and letting them, you know, be themselves, and you know, it's just, there's just too much to name. It's, it's incredible to watch. I watched many an introverted kid walk out, you know, like I did when I first went. And I've had many of, you know, guys with mental disabilities, you know, Asperger's, et cetera. Yeah. Some, some of them that couldn't even hold a conversation go up, walk up to the front of the stage. And I'm like, oh my God, what the hell's getting ready to happen? <laughs> and they literally kick their foot up on, you know, a speaker, throw their head back and do the craziest solo you've ever heard. Like, you know, yeah. you're like, oh my God, 
that just brought the house down, right? And just, you know, seeing that kind of stuff is like seriously the gift that keeps on giving to me. It's, it's been extremely enjoyable. And yeah, I've been doing it for 14 years, 15 years now. And seeing, you know, the ones that have gone on and continue to be in music, whether they're producers or whether they're working in the film industry, whether they're writers, one of them's developing theme park rides at Universal now, iHeart Music Awards, and one, you know, gotten platinum, platinum records and a whole bit. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. So kudos to you for helping, you know, steer people in the right direction because yeah i could never take credit for their for their success but you know hopefully i helped steer them like you said or guided them in the right way or helped give them the right opportunity that kept them moving in the right that right moment well you know and you just take a you go back to early on in our conversation you said how your dad was molding you and shaping you and 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 mentoring you really in in the art of performing the art of you know being able to hold a stage and that made a huge impact in your life. He didn't hold your hand the rest of the, the career, right? There was other people that helped you along the way. But, you know, you take a look at what you've done with your artist development company, and, and there's no mistake about it. You, you know what you're doing. You've, not only have you been, you've, you've learned all the things, you've done all the things, right? Not only have you had the highs of highs, you've had the lows of lows. And so you can help people you know, manage through that because as creatives, we're super emotional beings, right? We have our high moments. It's easy have, to quit. It's yeah, easy to quit. And we have our low moments, right? And I think that's one of the things that I, I really admire about you. And when I learned about your story, I learned about some of the things that you've been through. You know, we could, we, we could, we could talk for hours about what, what, you know, some of the highs and highs and lows and lows have been for you. But w- one of the things that I really want to help our listeners, you know, understand is we got a bunch of creatives on this show that are listening to, they want to turn this passion into some sort of profit so that they can, you know, so they can make an impact and be able to, you know, live a fulfilled life. And so through your journey, I I would like to, I would be curious on what would you say are one of the big things that you see that creatives do that sabotage themselves all the time? What's one thing they can avoid? Well, they have to, they think they have to be lucky to, to be the Justin Timberlakes or the this or that, if that's what they're searching for. So a lot of times, they, because they think they have to be lucky, they set up the roadblock and never really try. Or how many times, how many things have we all tried for the first time and we might have failed miserably in front of somebody, maybe embarrassingly, never to try it again. People think they have to be lucky. I tell uh, the story of a four-leaf clover uh, when I speak to people about, if I said, if I told you I found a four-leaf clover, would you consider me lucky? Right. Even if I told you I found a four-leaf clover today, would you consider me lucky? Most people go, oh my God, that's so lucky. That's so great. But if you just put in a little research, because now you've got the internet, you can find out that one in 15,000 clovers is a four-leaf clover. So if you sit there long enough, law of averages, you're going to find a four-leaf clover. Hmm. But then go a step further. Say, okay, how many, what's, what's 15,000 clovers look like? Is that like a football field? No, it's only the size of a card table. So if wow. I set my ass down, and looked through just the size of a card table, I'd find probably a four-leaf clover. Wow. Uh, most people don't have the patience for it. But when I was a kid, I actually sat down and found one really quickly. So my expectation was now that when I sit down, I'm going to find one because I found one. Mm. Most people don't find one off the, right off the bat, and they just, never, they just never do it. But, you know, use that in life. You know, there's all, there's all sorts of tools out there that we didn't have 20 years ago, for sure, you know. Yeah. Like Rachel Hollis says, uh, ignorance is a choice or whatever. I yeah. don't know if she originated that, but that's so true, you know. 
so many times, you know, people are looking for the overnight success. They're looking for the video that goes viral, that blows their career up. They're looking for that one hit skyrocket. One of my favorite speakers in the youth circuit um, still today is Josh Ship. And uh, I remember the first time I heard him say it takes 10 years to become an overnight success, you know, and it's, it's so true because, you know, you have to continue to try and try and try. You bring up Rachel Hollis. If you listen to her story, she tried at this internet marketing thing forever and failed miserably in most people's eyes, including hers. You know, it's all in how we interpret failure. It's all in how we interpret, well, I haven't made it yet. You know, some people will look at that and say, well, I just haven't made it yet because I guess that means I'm just not meant to. It's honestly a lot of hard work though. So you have to truly enjoy the entertainment industry if that's what you want to do because it's, yeah. it's, for, it's forever the unknown. Yep. There's nothing promised. A lot of people would just rather have their job show up. Where am I going to be? I'm going to show yep. up. I'm going to get my health insurance. So it's, it's not for everybody. It is a lot of hard work. And so it does take time. And if you do have overnight success, you still have to work. Justin yeah. Timberlake still worries about his next release because he has all the pressure of his past releases. People have expectations of him. There's a lot going on. It's not, it's not just easy uh, for everybody. That's for sure. Yeah. And you Usually know that you, a lot of people are in those pies too. And the more popular you get, yeah. the more people you're paying out. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that from experience, not only because you worked with Justin on the, uh, on the Mickey Mouse Club, but you guys still keep in touch. You guys still chat. And so, you know, you know, some of these guys are, are, are dealing with and working through. And so, you know, so if you were to give, if you were to give a creative, right, whether they're a, a singer, a dancer, a musician, maybe they're a graphics designer, they're just somebody that is a creator at heart. They're passionate about this creative uh, skill set they have. What is one thing that you would, one piece of advice that you would give to every creative right now uh, that would come to you and say, what can I do to actually make something of this thing? To trust yourself, I guess. Be vigilant and trust yourself. You know, I talk about how there's all sorts of people that are going to try to steer you off your path. Uh, I call them spirit killers. I wrote a song about it when I was a young kid, so it always just sticks with me. And you know, spirit killers can be our parents and our spouses, our best friends, because they don't really ride the same road we're on. They don't understand what we're trying to do. So you know, Jesse, you've often talked about, you know, only talking, asking advice from people who have, have been there, you know, and don't, yeah. don't ask directions from someone who hasn't been to where you're going. So that's, that's, I think, truly important. Just be vigilant. And um, if this is something you want to do and believe in your heart, then push everything else out. Jason, I just, I really appreciate you, man. I appreciate uh, your heart. Well, appreciate appreciate um, you, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been an honor to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, it's also an honor to, to have you a part of the Worldwide Dance Challenge and uh, yeah. be on the, be on the uh, you know, the judges panel there. I know you add a ton of value to the dancers and the crew that, that come through there. So just appreciate you so much and uh, appreciate that, a part of the show. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Here, we turn your passion into profit. Follow us on Facebook and stay tuned for another episode of the My Creative District podcast.